Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What a gorgeous day. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad. Glad to have everybody around along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Uh, good to have you along. You can text the show 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. That is the C Spire text line. Got a bunch coming up for you. I know Michael Borky is excited about this show this afternoon. Just uh, just so you know what's coming up, um, the American, I'm sorry, the Alliance of American Football is folding. Or maybe I should say has folded. It will be no more. With two weeks left in the regular season and two rounds of playoffs still scheduled. Not going to happen. We're going to look into why and see what all is coming up. Uh, you got some Ole Miss players who are now in the transfer portal, plus the Rebels got a big basketball commitment last night. Uh, Mississippi State had a scrimmage over the weekend. We'll talk to Brian Haydad a little about that and see if there's any kind of an update on the quarterback competition. The Atlanta Braves make a probably smart business decision and lock up Ronald Acuna Jr. with a long-term contract. Talk about what that means and what they did coming up in a bit. Arkansas and Vanderbilt, it appears as if they are about to make hires in basketball. A lot to get to. Boys, how are you? Borky, what's up? I got one of those allergy tests this morning where they take the, the tray of shots or whatever and poke the crap out of yeah. your back and turns did out you're allergic to everything. Well, first of all, did it hurt when they started poking you? No, it doesn't hurt that bad. I bled a little, but no, it doesn't hurt. It's more it's like um like getting a finger prick. But okay. no, it didn't hurt that bad. But yeah, as it turns out, I'm allergic to basically everything. Um, including dogs, and my doctor even looked at me. He said, I, "Look, I know the answer to the question, but I have to ask: Are you willing to live your life without your animals?" <laughs> I just started laughing and said, "Not a chance." But um, yeah, they're wanting me to get on weekly shots and stuff because apparently I am. If it's outside, if it is trees or grass, I am allergic to it. As it turns out, hmm. well, at least that's good to know, right? You know, you're not just weird. Surely it's one of those deals where you can take a pill every day and then take shots once a week and kind of control it, right? Yeah, he's going to come up with something. He he gave me 
a remedy that doesn't require weekly shots, and if that works, then we're good to go. But, buddy, my back lit up like a Christmas tree. Like, instead of hanging up lights this year, just take a picture of that, blow it up, put it in my front yard, I'm good to go. <laughs> uh, have you tried the local honey thing? He told me that's a myth. Well, that's what people say. Now, pe- people that are medical professionals will tell you that's not true. It doesn't work. Yeah, but, he told me that's a myth. But I've tried there it. There are a lot of people that say that it works. It has to be local honey. It can't be honey from two states away or from somewhere else in the south. It has to be locally produced honey. And supposedly it works. I've not tried it. I eat honey, but it's because that's what's in the cabinet to go on my biscuits. <laughs> hey, Dad. I like biscuits. You like honey on biscuits? I am a uh, butter and jelly kind of guy. What, but you don't like honey? I'm not a big fan of honey on biscuits, no. What about molasses? No, no, no. that's my grandfather now. Loved it. Loved that, but not me. Yeah, I'm with you. How's your Tuesday? It's good. Have I ever told you my grandfather's biscuit story? Oh, no, but I'd love to hear it. So my grandfather, for whatever reason, his biscuits were better than my grandmother's. My grandmother was a great cook, but his biscuits just mm-hmm. dominated hers. And we found out later, and this is only, he only told the boy grandchildren this, the, the female grandchildren, they just lost out on Papaw's secret recipe. You start with two sticks of butter, not just one. And, and now we know, now I know why the biscuits tasted so good. Yeah. You put two whole sticks I, I gotta be like honest with you. Ten biscuits. You know, homemade biscuits are great and all. Mm-hmm. But the effort that it takes to make homemade oh, biscuits. You gotta put your you put your back into it for sure. Hold on. The the effort that it takes to make homemade biscuits versus the effort of buying a bag of Mary B's biscuits uh. and putting them on the tray and in the oven, I just don't think there's that much difference in them. Just go to the biscuit lady here in Starkville and get some of her biscuits. Delicious. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Rippy, you a biscuit guy? I do. I like biscuits. Yeah. You like cornbread? Yeah, I do like cornbread. Oh, God. Should, should Do you need to ask the question, hey, Dad? Which one do you like better? Why well, can't I have both? You, you, know, you can have both, but if you had to pick. I'd pick both. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm not going to begrudge you that. I would take both. Thank you. Uh, There was baseball in Oxford this morning. Kind of. Kind of is probably a good way to put it. Uh, So here's the background. Well, let let me tell you the end of the story, and then we'll rewind, okay? Ole Miss lost 10-6 with a two-run home run in the bottom of the ninth. It was 10-4 going into the bottom of the ninth to North Alabama. Okay, so there's the... There, there's the punchline. Now let's tell the joke. North Alabama came into the day with an RPI of 285 out of 299 teams, ranked in the bottom 12 in pretty much every major offensive statistical category, put up 10 runs on 14 hits, and it is their first season as a Division One program. They are 5-21. and 21. They're now 6-21. and 21. They are. Came into the game 5-21, and 21, had a team batting average of 215, they set a season high for number of hits in the game 
What the heck? I mean, I was there. I did the game on TV. You were there. You watched it. What happened? How did that happen? How is that possible? That's a complicated question to unpack. I mean, simply, they didn't pitch it well. I mean, they started Max Chofi. It was his first career start. I didn't think he was... like. To me, that wasn't an abject disaster start, but he wasn't good. And then it was just kind of a lot of the same behind them pitching-wise. And then, I mean, they only mustered eight hits. Well, I guess guess it was ten after the two-run home run in the ninth and Cooper Johnson's double. But, I mean, they made two errors. They left 11 runners on base. But, 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 again, my question is, how does that happen? Ole Miss was 20-9 and coming into this game and two days ago played against a top-10 opponent and looked really good. Like, like I was told that Ole Miss people, people associated with the program, walked out of Fayetteville on Sunday going, you know what, Ole Miss just won two games against Arkansas out of three because Ole Miss is better than Arkansas, period. That's how they felt. Leave me. Whether or not you believe that or not is up for debate. That's how they felt walking away from the stadium on Sunday. And to your point, it's a like I wrote on Sunday. It's kind of hard to find. Like it's it's also a pointless exercise to find like a turning point in a season that lasts five months and spans fifty, sixty plus games. But it kind of did feel like a turning point for a team that hadn't played very good baseball for a month and a half. They took a huge road series and then kind of a precarious time for the low point in the season to come two days later it doesn't i mean you keep you ask how that happened i'm not entirely sure i mean it it, it's you know there's a word for this suboptimal Uh, well i mean and there's a phrase for it too right hey dad yeah i mean there's a there's probably a bunch of phrases that uh well there are but you know where i'm going with this don't you ron polk's phrase that's baseball i don't know if you can categorize I don't think you can categorize a loss to a team, a 285 RPI, as that's baseball. Something, something happened. There's a, there's a, there's a, a disconnect between what happened Saturday and and, and and Sunday in Fayetteville for the Rebels and and today. Something happened, and I don't know it what would, it is, but it would almost make a little more sense if it, this had happened coming off a weekend in which the team got swept or lost two out of three. And we're on, like, say they were on the other end of the game, like the losing end on Sunday in a game, the way the kind of the game went and got away from them late. Right. It would make a little more sense to come out flat, but this was just, it was baffling. Even as it unfolded, it was one of those things that for a while you thought, well, at some point they're going to, they're going to snap of it and they're going to hang a five spot. And then it goes, okay, it's a one run lead. And then it's seven to four. And it's seven to four in the sixth, and then it's seven to four after seven, and then you've only got six outs remaining, and you're down three, and then all of a sudden you're not down three, you're down six, and it's ten to four in the ninth, and there have been six run comebacks in the ninth inning, but it just didn't feel like today was going to be one of those days. We'll look a little more at this, and I'm really I, this. It may not be time yet, but we are. We got to dive in to this AAF story. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Tuesday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Um, I think there are a lot of ways to look at this story about the AAF today. But but here's a starting point. And, and Borky, you have read more about this than I have, and certainly have read more about it today than I have. But, but tell me how this works for a starting point. People who are desperate for cash make poor decisions. Fair. Hey, Dad, were you laughing about that? Yes, because of some personal experience, having you know been with a company that uh, went through some financial troubles in the past. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't trying to hit too close to home. No, right? no, but no, I'm, but I'm yeah, just... I feel their pain. Yeah, we we were we were playing around a little bit or talking uh, a couple of weeks ago about the idea that if you got a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars is not a lot of money. But if you need a hundred dollars and you don't have it, yeah. it's all the money in the world. When you look at the Alliance of American Football, which on the surface looked pretty good, right? I mean, you know, you get some decent coaches, you get some decent players, you got a decent TV package. Uh, you got some stability with the guy who's uh, the, the two guys who are initially leading the league in Charlie Ebersol and, and Bill Polian. But then the league starts and they realize that they don't have enough capital or they feel like they need to generate more capital. And so what do they do? They go and they seek an investor. And the investor is this guy, Tom Dundon, who agrees to pour $250 million up to into the company, but he takes a controlling interest. He becomes the owner of the league. It's no longer Ebersaw's league. Borky, is that a fair summation to how we got to this point? Yeah, that is how we got to this point. There was... Maybe not concern, that's probably not the best word to use, but there there were questions about potential payroll, and they found this this investor that took care of everything moving forward, but the projections, the, the television ratings were higher than projected, and they were relatively stable, and financial issues were not, well, finance, finances were not an issue, is what I should say, especially after that $250 million investment. They felt like they were in a really good place when all of that went down. And and yet here we are. There was enough money in that investment to absolutely carry the league through the end of this initial season get to the end of the year, make some evaluations, and figure out how best to go forward. The deal is, though, Tom Dundon did not pour $250 million of cash into the league. It was a staggered investment. And we learned today that at this point, he's only poured about $70 million of the $250 million into the league. And there appears to be an ulterior motive here. All right, so so that's where I want to go next, Borky. Why don't you explain this, and, and then we'll kind of kind of look at it from this angle. So this announcement today that the league is folding has come after about a week of uncertainty, where Tom Dundon, the guy that offered this two hundred and fifty million dollar investment, was 
being very um, upfront about the idea that if the NFL does not partner with the AAF, that it will fold. Well, everybody else involved with the AAF, Ebersol, investors, GMs, everybody else was very confused by that because they knew that the league could survive without an immediate partnership with the NFL. And that was a goal down the line, but that's not something that they counted on immediately for the survival of the league. Today, this announcement comes where Dundon is folding the league and everybody league-wide is, is confused. They don't get it and they don't want it to happen and it doesn't need to happen. And based on reports, Dundon invested into the league presumably to get the technology within their app that has live in-game player trackers in betting that he can use for whatever he wants to do with it, sell it to the NFL or the NBA or wherever. He got in, according to reports, to get the technology in the app. And then he's cutting everything else out of that investment because he doesn't need the football side. He just needed the technology, and he felt that that $70 million was worth getting that technology, and he cut everything else that he would have had to deal with, and that's why he was so aggressive in pursuit with the NFL because he wanted the NFL so he to deal out, with the football side. He went out, plunked his money down to buy the technology, period. According to reports, second, we don't know for sure, so we have to use the word allegedly and stuff like that, but that is what is being suggested today. Rippy, what do you think of all this? I mean, if all that is true, it sounds like they got played. It doesn't sound, I mean, y'all already, I mean, Borty already said this, but it doesn't seem like it's actually a financial issue. It sounds like they got, they got kind of gypped. Ben Kirchival at CBS Sports tweeted this about an hour ago. If all of this sounds like Dundon versus the AAF, which is insane because Dundon controls it, that's because it is. Every person I've spoken to today has been utterly blindsided. And there's probably two side, I mean, two like multiple parts to this. Because if you needed that big of an investment, what he invested that two or three weeks into the season, you were probably underfunded from the start. Tom Dundon is going to make an announcement to the players at uh, 4 o'clock Central Time. So about half an hour from now, we should see an, uh, uh, an announcement of some sort. Um, it's really fascinating. Uh, really fascinating. So, so he now has a controlling interest in the company, but doesn't necessarily own the entire thing. I mean, Ebersol and... Bill Polian were the founders of the company. They didn't give up everything. They just don't have a controlling interest. Um, there, there is a thought that if Dundon was simply doing this to steal the technology or to take the technology, that he's about to be sued and this thing's about to be tied up big time. The bottom line is the football goes away, and the football was pretty good. Yeah, that's the the, the hey. part about this that makes me wonder is that yeah they were underfunded obviously, but this looked like it was an undervalued asset. It looks like they they were doing better than they projected they originally were going to do. So why shut it down? It looks like there's potential here, 
I mean, I, that's why it leads me to believe this ulterior motive is probably accurate. Because from an investment standpoint, it seems like you were good. This this had long term potential. Yeah, you just nailed it. Because like, if you had any questions as to whether there was actually an ulterior motive, the what Hey Dad just said kind of seals it, does it not? It was a good product. The TV ratings seemed to be good enough, although like, I don't think anyone thought they would sustain the Week 1 ratings. No, but, but even in March enough, against March Madness, they were still sustainable. And it proved there was an appetite for football in the offseason, right? What does this mean for the XFL and Vince McMahon? Don't do business with Tom Dundon. <laughs> be a billionaire when you start a league yourself. Don't ask for outside investment. It's a good start for Vince McMahon, then, because he, he is, in fact, a billionaire. Oh, yeah, and in all seriousness, don't you think it's probably make sure you have the proper amount of funding from the start? Because wasn't that the AAF's probably mistake? Like, if you need an investment that big a couple of weeks, because remember, they were almost, they were close to a, what, paychecks not going out or whatever it was yeah, before they invested, con- if you remember. There was a concern with it, for sure. Um, players around the league and stuff were worried, and, and there was potentially a payroll issue coming. They just hadn't hit that wall yet, and in sweeps this uh, already a pro franchise owner with a $250 million check to avoid all of that and keep the ball rolling. So them getting duped kind of feels right. And a lot of people are, are talking today as if, well, this just proves that Football, not in football season, doesn't work. And I think the AAF proved the exact opposite of that despite them folding. As backwards as that sounds. Because they're not folding because I, I of financial think, issues. I agree with you. I, I, I do as well. But I do think that long-term, football in the offseason without a relationship with the NFL is really difficult. I think that's a really difficult prospect. Now, Dundon may have had an ulterior motive for trying to strong-arm the NFL into a partnership. Guess what? I don't think you're going to strong-arm the NFL into anything. The NFL or the NFLPA. But figuring out a way to get a partnership done, and who knows, that could have been something on the horizon. The NFL may have said, we'll have that conversation, but show us what you can do first. If we wanted a if we wanted a minor league, we'd just go start a minor league. So if you can go build something and show us that it works, maybe we're interested then. Bill Polian has issued a statement as well. We'll take a look at that next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm Tuesday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Ole Miss loses in baseball today to North Alabama. Final was ten to six. Rippy was there to cover the game. I was doing it and for TV. You, you were on the field after the game with uh, with Mike Bianco. What did he have to say post game? That they were really bad and North Alabama played really well. He didn't have much. To, I mean, I know that sounds simplistic, but he really didn't have a ton to offer with regards to how that that really happened. I mean, I, I think he was probably as a little bit as mystified as people watching it were. And I guess that's reasonable, but. Those are also reasonable questions to ask him after a game like that, right? I mean, sure, but like, it was just kind of a slow bleed. Like, Max Trophy gives up five runs in three and two thirds. Three of those are unearned runs, so the defense wasn't very good behind them. And then, you know, Connor Green didn't give up a run after that, but then Broadway and Roth give up two runs apiece, and it, 
you know, just got away with them late. I mean, they, I mean, a lot of it was Ole Miss was four for fourteen with runners in scoring position and left eleven on base. So that's probably a good chunk of it. But. Is the game different if um, Tim Elko catches the ball that's kind of dying? It's a, it's about knee high, hits in his glove and kicks out. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, Keenan made an error before that. Or after that? Was it before or after that? I think that? it was before. Before that. So, I mean, maybe, but... I mean, they got they were at five runs there. You know, maybe that turns out differently, but I, I don't I don't know the answer to that, honestly. Yeah. Um, tough outing today for Ole Miss. And it's a game that leaves you with a lot of questions and maybe not uh, a, a ton of answers, at least not immediately. You know, I, I said after the game to somebody that I was talking to, you know, you, you look at this performance on the heels of what Ole Miss just did at Arkansas, and it's a head-scratcher, but you wouldn't be even remotely surprised if Ole Miss took two from Florida this weekend. No, but that's with Doug Nikhazy and Will Etheridge going. I mean, I, I think this highlighted is Ole Miss is having all kinds of struggles with bullpen depth and not having a viable midweek starter. Which those are probably one in the same in some ways. Question on the C Spire text line: Why does he not leave the lineup alone to develop chemistry? You start Tim Elko and left today. You start Chase Cockrell and right today. Well, the midweeks a lot usually time for managers or coaches to get guys at bats, and I mean they're games of consequence, but they're not as pressing as conference games, and so. Look, I mean, when you lose to a North Alabama team with the 285 RPI, that's never that they're still in their first season as a D1 program. Like, I don't think it's who you're like. I mean, like you ought to be able to run whoever whoever out there and win that game. game, Yeah, essentially. Yeah, Uh, but they didn't though. So shouldn't I mean? Doesn't that lead to that question being at least fair? Get a 7-8 run lead I mean, first, or get any kind of lead first before you put Cockrell back in the lineup, who, unless he's getting a straight fastball, has completely struggled going into last year where his numbers were good, but when you really look at it, the scattering report came out, and he's just not a viable option at the plate anymore. So, yes, you should beat North Alabama with whoever wears your uniform, but at the same time, you can't really afford to drop these midweek games. You couldn't because you lost too many non-conference games to begin with if you're talking getting a hosting site don't you want to start the lineup that worked on Saturday and Sunday first get a lead and then put your guys in who have really struggled and probably don't need to be getting ABs and meaningful games anymore sure but it's also a fair question to ask would the result have been any different because one through five it was the exact same lineup all they changed up was Fitzsimmons at first base and Elko probably would have been in the lineup this weekend in some capacity if he had not crashed into the wall at Memphis on Tuesday or Wednesday whatever day it was last week so the only difference you're talking about is Chase Cockrell essentially and Fitzsimmons at first base and so how yes, did they that's do different today? but Chase Cockrell was over two with a walk. Over two with a walk. What do you have it in front of you? No, I just had it. I just remembered that from looking at the scorecard. I've got it here somewhere. Um, Chase Cockrell was strikeout fielder's choice walk. Fitzsimmons uh, 0 for three. Michael Fitzsimmons ground out pop out line out. 
Uh, Tim Elko, walk, walk. So he walked twice and then was pinch hit four with Carl Gendel, who went 0 for 3 in that spot. But sure, but like, is that how is that going to prevent you from giving up 10 runs and making two errors? It doesn't. I mean, if you lose to North Alabama, everything went wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not an unfair question. Like, I get where it's coming from. I just, I don't think that was necessarily the issue today. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Ronald Acuna Jr., if you're a Braves fan, well, he's going to be in a Braves uniform for a while, and he's going to get paid a whole lot more than he was planning to make when he set out his budget for the year. Like, he thought he was making 560000 this year. Turns out it's going to be a whole lot more. we got more coming up with you at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Stay tuned. Sports Talk Mississippi, C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Is your phone a little rough around the edges? There's a single place you can trust for all your phone repairs, and that's C Spire. C Spire stores from Brandon to Tupelo are now certified phone repair locations. They can fix any problem on any device from any carrier, in most cases, while you wait. Stop by today, C Spire, customer inspired. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Um, hey, Dan, let's jump ahead and talk a little Mississippi State spring football. Uh, had a scrimmage over the weekend. Obviously, the, the thing that is on the majority of people's minds with regard to Mississippi State football is the quarterback position. Nick Fitzgerald is gone, and Keaton Thompson is thought to be, or at least by many has been thought to be the the next guy up at the quarterback spot, but there's a pretty pretty good competition going, isn't there? I think so. It's certainly open. I don't know if the, I would say it's a wide open competition. I think Keaton Thompson is the favorite, and, and if the first game was tomorrow, we, the Keaton Thompson would be the guy out there. But I think Maiden has an opportunity here uh, because I think he is just a little bit better passer. Now I will say this from watching Keaton, and his stats weren't great this weekend. He was seven of fifteen with a pick. Um, and, and, and a touchdown pass. His, his ball is infinitely more catchable than Fitzgerald's was. I mean, Nick, Nick Fitzgerald, for all his, his, his positives, as a passer, we all know he was limited, and part of that was he just he couldn't put touch on the ball. He just fired it in there, and, and he just sort of hoped for the best. Uh, Keaton's ball is, is more catchable. So is Maiden's uh, for, 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 that, uh, for that example. So they both, you know, they both looked comfortable in the pocket on Saturday. It was more of a situational scrimmage than a full scrimmage. Uh, Joe Moore had told us that they had enough injury concerns that they didn't want to go a full, you know, up and down the field scrimmage. So they, they just sort of made it situational. Um, but by and large, both those guys, you know, they looked relatively comfortable in the pocket. They looked good moving the offense. State still has some issues at the wide receiver position, and that's what's I think it's going to hold the quarterback position more down than anything else is that they just don't have a true playmaker uh, out there on the perimeter to, to get deep and, and take the, the top off of some defenses. But I think you know it's, it's a good first step uh, this early in the spring for both those guys. Where does Garrett Schrader fit into the mix? Well, he'd probably fit a lot better if he could make it to meetings on time. Uh, that's why he didn't play on Saturday. He was held out of uh, the scrimmage because he was late for a team meeting. Uh, and when we asked Moorhead about that, and you can go back and find that video of, of me talking to him, of all of us talking to him on Super Talks, or sorry, on Sports Talk Mississippi's uh, Twitter feed, um, you could see the frustration was very evident in his face. Like normally, Joe Moorhead, when you're talking to me, he's one of the most laid back, easygoing guys you can talk to. And somebody, I think it, it may have been David Murray, who asked him, 
uh, why didn't Schrader play today? And immediately he, he, you could tell he was angry uh, that that Schrader had missed this meeting and put himself in this position. So, I mean, you're talking about a true – you want to be a true freshman to get involved in a, a, the race to be a starting quarterback of an SEC team, and that's how you're going to, you know, prepare for, prepare yourself and, and for the first scrimmage. So you're going to be late to a meeting. I, I would – I wouldn't put any money on, on Garrett Schrader being the starting quarterback for Mississippi State. There is a uh, there's a maturation process that yeah. is real. Uh, for some guys, it takes a little longer than others. Yeah, no, no question about that. No question. Um, but that said, you know, Schrader is the, is the Moorhead guy. You know, and then there's there, that is a a real thing in my opinion sometimes. So we'll see if that plays out, but but for now it it really is between Thompson and Maiden, and and I would say it's probably it's probably slanted toward Thompson, maybe seventy thirty. But there's a window there that if Maiden continues to perform well, he's going to get an opportunity. Um, what are the other storylines that are important to watch during spring football for Mississippi State? You got you got to look at the defense, obviously. You know you know they're going to take a step back because they just lost. You know they're losing three guys who could be first round picks. Uh, in a few weeks, uh, on top of you know they lost you know a ton of depth on that defensive line, but they're not going to be it's not going to be a free fall. They they were the number one defense in the nation last year. They're going to be that again, probably not. But could they be a top twenty defense, top twenty five? Yeah, I think so. You know, there's still a lot of talent there. Errol Thompson, Willie Gay, Cam Dantzler, uh Brian Cole, Jaquarius Landrews, Chauncey Rivers, Kobe Jones. There's still a lot of guys on that defense. There's still some depth there, so they should be pretty good. And then for me, you know, the story of the season is going to be, does Joe Moorhead find a way to get Kylan Hill involved? You know, Kylan Hill proved last year that he has what it takes to be one of the top backs in the SEC, and State just ignored him, you know, for whatever reason. And I think that Kylan Hill is the type of back who could rush for 1,200, 1,300 yards if given the carries and be, you know, very successful. And I think State's success offensively would be tied to him because they need to be strong in the running game to give themselves opportunities in the passing game because they don't have that great one-on-one wide receiver. So, you know, I, I know Kylan Hill is going to be the starting running back, so it's not really a storyline of I'm watching a position battle or anything. But I want to see, and I, I guess I won't get to see it until games really start, but I want to know how much of the offense he's going to be involved in. Do you have reason to believe that Kylan Hill will get the necessary carries to give him the opportunity to get to a 12, 1,300-yard season? I mean, based on what I saw last year, no. I know I don't think I, I've seen that. You know, But at the same time, I have to think that Joe Moorhead is smart enough, I hope that he is, to, to, to look at his offense and go, that's my best playmaker. i got to get him involved somehow. You know, He averaged six and a half yards a carry last year. Even at five yards a carry, you're doing pretty good. But six and a half is that's really, really good. I think he would have been third in the SEC if he had had the necessary number of carries. Um, and Aris Williams averaged over six yards a carry too. So State's running backs were very successful last year. Uh, we'll just have to see if you know this year if they can find a way to get the ball into their hands more. And if that means limiting some of the options that you give your quarterback on, on play calling, it may have to be that way because you, you've got to you've got to involve Kylan Hill. Um, question here on the C Spire text line from uh, a 601 number. Will Brad Cumbus get some playing time? Oh, this, this fall, definitely. Now, right now, he's sort of torn between baseball and football. He did not scrimmage on Saturday because he was getting ready for the Mississippi State LSU game 
on uh, on yeah. later that day. And he's having a lot of success at baseball, to be honest with you. And he there may come a point if he continues that path where he has to make a decision. But this fall, I expect him to be involved uh, in the offense for sure. And, and speaking of tight ends, another redshirt freshman, Jaquarius Spivey, he was probably the most impressive receiver of anyone on, on Saturday. He's a guy, from an athleticism standpoint, really stands out to you. We'll see if he gets, you know, I've been hearing that the tight end was going to be involved more in the offense since Sylvester Croom was the head coach at Mississippi State, and it just never seems to happen. So we'll see if it does this year. But he's a guy who I think can, can provide a matchup problem uh, for Mississippi State uh, when they when they get into the red zone especially. Hey, Dad, let's go back to what you were talking about with defense a second ago. You said, you know, lots of talent returning, but – on the defensive line in particular, in losing Jeffrey Simmons and losing Montez Sweat, you, you lose two guys that were kind of at the top of the opponent's scouting report. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to make this an old Miss conversation, just uh, kind of an example that popped into my head. Robert Kimdichie's numbers were never like off the charts. Like, he never had, I don't, I, he never put up numbers like Jeffrey Simmons put up kind of in the middle of a defensive line. Right. But it wasn't until he was gone that you kind of realized what he occupied on the defensive front, if that makes sense. You know, no, the, you, the yeah. way other teams had to deal with him. It, it could could that be a similar situation in losing Jeffrey Simmons? That okay, yeah, you know the production was good, but unless you're just focusing constantly on the line of scrimmage, you don't realize how much emphasis an opposing offensive unit was focusing on him right and that's why i say you know they're not gonna be the number one defense again there's going to be some setback from that but you know they've recruited well along the defensive front uh, i think at the end position they're still gonna be pretty good chauncey rivers that guy was penciled in to start two years ago before the academic issues got him so i mean it's not a talent issue with him and kobe jones has played well when he's gotten the opportunity you get marquis spencer back he, he missed all of last year with an injury he's a very good player defensive tackle you've got uh lee autry there uh, Fabian Lovett, who's a redshirt freshman out of, uh, I think he's out of Olive Branch, he got a, a lot of snaps on uh, Saturday because a couple of guys were out with injury. You're bringing in Nathan Pickering, who you, you know you'd like to think long term could be a Simmons style replacement. Um, I mean, they, they just they have a lot of guys there, and they they've got a lot of proven guys who've played you know played snaps before. So they, they've got some depth. We'll see. Is anybody going to be Jeff Simmons? No. No, that guy was a, a once in a you know every ten fifteen year kind of player. He was he was a that that dominant. You know, is there another Montez Sweat? Probably not. But can they still be productive and and, and be good? Yeah, they absolutely can be that. Yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, we may talk a little bit more about that when we get to the college football fix a little bit uh, later this afternoon. A pressing question for me though is a, a lifelong Birmingham Iron fan. How are you taking the news of today? <laughs> It hurts, you know, because they were going to be in the playoffs, and uh, you know it's been taken away from us a chance to to get that first championship and bring it to the Iron City. Borky is a lifelong Memphis Express fan. You're, you're hurting today, aren't you? Oh, for sure, especially because my last memory of the team is going to be an ugly one with their worst season in franchise history being this one. So, hate it for them. Was Mike Singletary going to make it through the offseason? No! He In would... theory, it was their best one, too. Yeah, you know, if you're an optimist, I guess. Glass half full guy. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. I can't explain. 
I mentioned this earlier, some baseball news. The Atlanta Braves have locked up Ronald Acuna Jr. for what may end up being a pretty reasonable contract. Atlanta Braves outfielder Ronald Acuna Jr. and the team are finalizing an eight-year, $100 million contract extension. The deal includes a $10 million buyout on two options that are worth $17 million each. And the contract starts this year. So Ronald Acuna was going to make $560,000 this year. The 21-year-old won Rookie of the Year last year, hit two ninety three with 26 home runs, 64 driven in. He is the youngest player to receive a $100 million contract, and the Braves now have him through his age 30 season. So we were talking about it a little bit ago, and you guys were saying this was really dumb for Ronald Acuna's agent to allow him to sign this deal because he was expected or he was set to become an unrestricted free agent in 2024. Why do you think this was dumb? Because he's potentially a $300, $400 million player in a couple of years. And I don't know if it's not dumb for Acuna because I understand like the generational wealth. He's got $100 million now. Like, good for him. It changes his life, his family's life, presumably. For a long time, but man, you talk about like calling this a team friendly deal would be an understatement. Like, I mean, it's good for Braves people, but he left a lot of, he potentially left a great deal of money on the table. He's the 19th. Potentially. I mean, he did. 19th highest paid player at his position now with this extension. And if you were drafting players at that position right now, what order would you take him? I mean, you Trout, Harper, and then you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean it's definitely not nineteenth, not even close. Well, here's what I'm wondering: how, how does this compare to what Mike Trout has done? Okay, so Mike Trout well before he was even arbitration eligible originally, signed a six-year, $144 million contract with the Angels. And with a couple of years left on that contract, they just tore it up and started over and signed him to this massive, what, 12-year, $400 million contract. Why is this different? Mike Trout currently is 27 years old. So Ronald Acuna right now is 21 years old. So what is to say that Ronald Acuna doesn't play on this deal for the next five or six years, and assuming his production may, uh, maintain or continues at the way that it's going currently, they tear up the contract with two years remaining on it and redo him in a mega contract like Mike Trout got? How old is Acuna in six years? 27. How old is Trout now? 27. I mean, there's nothing to stop I guess that's them a good from what point. you're saying. But, but at the same time, it seems like... I mean, this is a club-friendly deal. There, there's no getting around that. And it, it just seems like a player of Acuna's talent 
could could have done better. I mean, even at eight years and two hundred million, even if you double the value of the contract, you're still getting a deal based on what you you're projecting this guy to be. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, Richard, but well, well, it's, okay, it's, yes, yes, you're getting a deal. But you're not getting a deal within the confines of the current economics of the game and the fact that he was on an existing contract. I mean, the reason the Braves did this is because they don't want to lose him in five years, which is what was possible. Now, if he became an unrestricted free agent five years from now and goes on the open market, he might say, well, you guys never took care of me. I'm gone. And and he's going to play for the, the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs or whoever is a big spender at the time. The Phillies, you know, whatever. So the Braves can't can't they show some good faith here and say, look, we're going to go ahead and do a deal. Let's do a long term deal that will take care of you between now and when it's time for a big deal. Because we can't give you, we're not going to give you a twelve year, four hundred million dollar contract when all we're required to pay you right now is five hundred and sixty thousand dollars, basically league minimum. So. Let's do right by you now in a way that's responsible for the club. And then when you get to the age where it's time for one of those mega contracts, we'll renegotiate the deal. Wouldn't that be the bargaining chip that the Braves would go with? That's probably how they they put it together, yeah. But at the same time, his agent has to be the one who says, why don't we just do the mega deal now? Because nobody's going to do a mega deal now for a guy that has one year of big league experience. One year. Well, then, I mean, if that's the case, then, I mean, Acuna has to sort of bet on himself in our scenario, then. It, it has to turn into, okay, well, I, I think I'm going to outperform what you're offering me, so let's see what happens. But, but again, he was going to earn $560,000 this year and then get a bump next year and a bump the year after that. And then he was going to go through two years of arbitration where he would be paid well, but he's not going to be paid anywhere close to what he would make as an unrestricted free agent. And then he gets to test the free agent waters. Right. He's going to make an additional 32, 37, 30. He's going to make $39 million in the time that it would have taken him to get to that point. Right. So he's going to make more in the short term. And then there's still going to be an opportunity for him to sign a mega deal, right? I mean, do you think at 30, 31 years old he can still get a, a monster deal? I don't think he's going to get to 30 or 31 years old on this contract. That's, that's kind of the point okay. that I'm making. Okay. If, I mean, that, if you that, think that's that, what we're seeing happen. Thing. Aren't the last two years of the deal but, club options? Yeah, there are a couple of $17 million club options at the end. I mean, they're going to pick those up um, if he's still producing. So, yes, but but again, when he gets to twenty-seven years old, if he's producing at, at, at the level that he's producing right now, we, we've already seen the Braves are willing to look ahead and say, "Okay, we want to lock this guy up long term," and so we're going to be proactive in doing a new deal. Why wouldn't they do the exact same thing when he's 27? Assuming his production doesn't drop off between now and then, that he continues to be one of the five or ten best players in the game as he grows and grows, why would they not at age 26 or 27 say, in the same way that at age 21 we wanted you for 10 years, you're 26 now, 
and we want to guarantee that we've got you for 10 more years. So we're going to pay you what you're worth. That's we'll possible. tear up this deal and sign the mega deal because we want you long term. It's it, it what you're saying is possible and what I'm saying is possible. So I mean, we're going to have to find out what happens. But I mean, I, it's it's tough to sneeze. Well, we'll get back to you I 5 get, years from now and decide. Yeah, well, we'll it, it's it's like recruiting, you know. We'll we'll know in a few years who was who was right and who was wrong. An 8-year, 100 million dollar contract. All 100 million dollars of it is guaranteed. It's an average of 12 and a half million a year. Um this year, his base salary is only a million dollars. So he only got a little bit of a pay raise this year. Base salary will be next year, uh, also a million dollars. And then it starts jumping. He's going to make $5 million when he's 23. He's going to make $15 million when he's 24. And then from age 25 all the way through age 30, as it stands right now, he's going to make $17 million a year. Fully guaranteed. Which is nice. You say bet on yourself, and I understand that, but there's something to be said for cashing in and guarantee. I mean, a hundred million guaranteed. Yeah, I mean it's it's good money, but it, I just feel like it could have been two hundred and fifty million guaranteed a couple years from now. I, that's just, that's just my opinion. Feels like he's hedging right. his bet a little bit. Yeah. But but it's not a couple of years from now. For him to get a two hundred fifty or three hundred million dollar contract, it's four or five years from now. Well, you, like like players because his current deal ran time, through twenty twenty four, right? Like players can't don't have that power to say I want a new deal or we're gonna or we're gonna have a problem. It happens all the time. But does it happen as much in baseball? Maybe not as much, but. It can still happen. That's more of a football thing where contracts aren't guaranteed. Well, the contracts aren't guaranteed, right? But if Acuna is at the point five years, two, three years from now, where he's a consistent three hundred, forty, hundred guy, I mean, he can he can go with some bargaining chip power and say, "Hey, I, w- I want a new deal." Yeah, maybe so. I think it's a pretty good spot for him to be in, and I do not disagree with you guys. I think the Braves have got to be ecstatic with what they just happened. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. All right, what about some SEC basketball news? You know we've got job openings all over the place. Texas A&M is opening, or is open. Vanderbilt is open. Alabama was open. They hired Nate Oates from Buffalo. Arkansas is open, and LSU is expected to be open, although right now it's not. So Alabama has filled its vacant coaching spot. All signs point to Buzz Williams going to Texas A&M. Borky, there was a uh, a tweet today that uh, Trey Schapp from 103.7 The Buzz in Little Rock put out. He says a source told him, that Eric Musselman, who is currently the head coach at Nevada, is in Fayetteville for an interview. That's interesting to me on a couple of fronts because the the two most prominent names that have been thrown out for Arkansas are Kelvin Sampson at Houston, who, by the way, is not still in the tournament, and 
Chris Beard from Texas Tech, who is still in the tournament. With Chris Beard getting Texas Tech to the Final Four, that feels like more of a long shot than it did if they had gotten beat two rounds ago. Samson's also finalizing a deal with Houston. Kelvin Sampson's going to finalize a deal with Houston. Look, I, I told you early on that you know I had a conversation with Kelvin Sampson back in December about why he took the Houston job. And here, here's what he said to me, and, and you can either take a coach at his word or you can assume that they're all just saying the right things you know, to get on to the next day or get on to the next job. Kelvin Sampson had been out of college basketball for a number of years, and he said he and his family were in a place currently where a job like Houston was what he wanted. He wanted a building project. He said that's he, he told me that that's his favorite way to coach when he's kind of building from the ground up. And so he's been able to shape that program in the way that he wants to shape it. And on top of that, they've gotten good. He's got a really good recruiting class coming in. And he's got a billionaire booster that also happens to be the owner of the Houston Rockets that, given the success Houston has had, is is basically willing to write a blank check. They've got a brand-new arena. They've got a brand-new practice facility. The Americans are a pretty good league. And if you look around in the SEC, all of a sudden life has gotten really, really difficult to be a head basketball coach in the SEC. So why would Kelvin Sampson leave Houston to go to Arkansas? It's a good question, and I was pondering this today. If you're a prospective head coach in the SEC, basketball or football, what would you view the more difficult situation ahead of you? Entering the league as a new football coach or entering the league as a new basketball coach right now? Who? What do you think, hey, Dad? I, I think I'd rather be a football coach, to be totally honest with you, because I see the—I have to sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel for Saban, right? And when that happens, and when Alabama, you know, assuming they don't get Dabo, and I, I really don't believe they will, then the, then the, then the balance sort of restores itself, and it's still going to be a tough grind. No, no question about that. Especially over in the East, if you're going to have to deal with Georgia and Kirby Smart and what he's building over there. But in basketball, you mentioned this the other day. I mean, who has the who's going to have a weak coach at this point? I mean, in the SEC, you know, you hate to say, it, but there are some weak coaches in football. But there, there, there don't seem to be as many in basketball as, especially as many as it used to be. Now, I think we were going to, we might transition into what Vanderbilt's doing. But for the most part, night in and night out in the SEC, you've got a guy who has either a lot of NCAA tournament experience or just a lot of coaching experience in general, where in the SEC in football, you've got some guys who've only been head coaches you know, two, three years at most. Think about the landscape right now in SEC basketball. Okay, Nate Oates, a little bit of an unknown, just got hired at Alabama. Arkansas, trying to get Eric Musselman, good coach. I don't know if that style will work at Arkansas or not. He, he is a grinder, grinder, grinder. And there were some people that talked about Nevada kind of fading down the stretch a little bit, and maybe his players just kind of, just kind of grew weary of that style. Auburn's got Bruce Pearl; he's got them in the Final Four. Mike White's a really good coach at Florida. 
And they got better and better as the season went along, and they've got a great recruiting class coming in. Tom Crean at Georgia, year two coming up. He's just secured a top-five player in the country. John Calipari just signed a lifetime contract, roughly. That's what people are calling it, whether that's what it actually is or not, at Kentucky. LSU, we'll see. Ole Miss feels really, really good about Kermit Davis. And he got a big-time commitment yesterday. And they're about to be pretty active in the transfer market, it appears. Mississippi State with Ben Howland. It's taken maybe a year longer than people wanted it to take, but he got that team to the tournament this year. Conzo Martin at Missouri. Frank Martin at South Carolina. Tons of respect for Frank Martin. Tennessee's got Rick Barnes. Texas A&M, it appears as if is about to hire Buzz Peterson, who is a tremendous basketball coach. And then Vanderbilt, if these reports are accurate, is hiring Jerry Stackhouse. It Forgive me, but do you remember the, the the game from Sesame Street or Mr. Rogers? The the one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> one of these things just doesn't belong. I'm intrigued by this. I'm not gonna lie to you, because Stackhouse is a guy whose name, current players, current high school and college players, they're gonna remember him. He was a good player, you know, played for North Carolina, part of some good NBA teams. But I, I don't know. I mean, he's never recruited, to my knowledge. I think he's always been, you know, a pro assistant. So, you know, can he recruit off of name alone? I, he strikes me as a guy that if he puts together a good staff, some veteran assistants, that could, it could work. But the 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 bus potential in this is really really high, and that's coming for a team that was zero and eighteen in a, a season ago in the SEC. I don't know how much lower they can go, but. This is either going to be a boom or bust hire. I don't think there's going to be a middle ground for, for Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt. Aren't you just blown away by the prospect of this, considering what the league has done right now? I mean, at least Avery Johnson, despite only having an NBA background, was a good NBA coach, was an NBA coach of the year coach at one point. Eric Musselman's Took got Dallas an NBA. to the finals. Yeah. yeah. Eric Musselman's an NBA guy, but he at least coached in college for years this guy, Jerry Stackhouse, has two years of head coaching experience in the G League, and he has never been on a college staff before. Maybe he's got shoe company connections, or maybe he'll be able to recruit on name, but this, considering what everybody else around the league has done, does not make any sense at all. It is different coaching in college, as Avery Johnson learned, than it is in the NBA. Completely different. Stackhouse led the Raptors 905. That's a G League team for the uh, Toronto Raptors to the 2016 17 D League at the time championship. And he was named the 2017 D League Coach of the Year. I think I also read that he's got, has coached an AAU team. So maybe there's some recruiting connection there. We got a text that says, y'all know Stack won a G League title, right? He's one of the hottest coaches right now. Yeah, okay, hot coach, but as a college coach? Or is he hot in the professional ranks? Now, what? so what's the connection? What? what, what is? What, why would Vanderbilt be looking at Jerry Stackhouse? Well, it would make more the sense if he was an old new van- 
He's not. Sure. The new Vanderbilt Athletics Director is the former um, commissioner of the G League, or director of the G League, or whatever. So there, there would have been a connection there, right? I mean, that, that doesn't that have to be the connection? Has to be. Malcolm Turner, recently named the AD at Vanderbilt, part of the NBA's senior leadership team and president of the G League. Graduated from... Anybody care to guess? It's got to be North Carolina. The University of North Carolina. And then got his MBA and his law degree from Harvard. No doubt a bright guy. He was a Rhodes Scholar finalist and, and, and all of those things when he was at North Carolina. So, plenty of pedigree there for Malcolm Turner. That's fine. This is a great text, and I've not seen it anywhere. I, I thought about this when I first read it. Somebody said pen, Penny Effect. Well, does Stackhouse you, You're looking have the same at Memphis just hiring Penny Hardaway. Say what now? Does he have the same connections that Penny had in AAU basketball? I, I doubt it. Yeah, but didn't your one and Penny only question if he can do anything other than acquire talent? Um. Yeah, I mean, there certainly were questions about coaching. Now, I think they got better down the street. Did I say Buzz Peterson? You did. I, I wanted. When I was talking about A and M. Yeah, you, you did. Who's Buzz Peterson? Buzz Peterson used to be the head basketball coach at Tennessee. That's right. Yeah. It's not Buzz Peterson. It's the other Buzz, bald-headed Buzz that only wears a vest with his shirts and ties. You know what I meant. Thanks, Preston. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Tuesday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey with you for the rest of the way. Hey, Dad, had to split and head over to a little post-practice availability for football in Starkville. No baseball tonight for Mississippi State. They've got that tomorrow uh, when they host ULM before going to Knoxville this weekend for a little baseball. Southern Miss has got baseball at home tonight, and then we'll be at home this weekend as they uh, begin a four-game homestand, trying to bounce back from a weekend series loss on the road. And Ole Miss had baseball earlier today. They lost 10-6 to to North Alabama, a team that uh, has made the transition to Division One this year. A tough loss, and really a, a loss that we, we were talking about this earlier it's kind of hard to explain. It's hard to point to exactly what happened that caused Ole Miss to lose that ball game earlier today. Kind of a combination of things. They didn't have great at-bats. They stranded 11 runners, didn't pitch it all that well, didn't play very good defense. So maybe it's not all that hard to explain. Maybe that's a, a pretty easy explanation for how you lose a game, even if it is to a team that was 5-21 and 21 coming in. Yeah. But... I mean, if you don't hit and you don't pitch and you don't field, kind of regardless of who you're playing, the opportunity to win is not very big, is it? Definitely makes it smaller, but I mean, you would think you could have a game like that where you don't play particularly well in all three phases and still get by against you know a, a five and twenty-one team. It's not an unreasonable statement. 
Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Spring sales event going on right now, which means great deals on cars, vans, trucks, SUVs at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. You can start your search online at buyfordnow.com, but then go test drive one and save money today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Got a text on the C Spire text line. We were talking a little bit about Dan Mullen. And this is an interesting uh, an interesting take from David in Corinth. Most Bulldogs appreciate what Dan Mullen did, but most feel like he mailed it in in his last Egg Bowl, and because of that left a bad taste. Effort, win that game, and they're naming the stadium after him for what he did for the program. Do you guys agree with that? That's fair, and, and I think that'll wear off eventually. History will look at Dan Mullen better than it does currently because of that fact. Because I, That's a very fair assessment, but if you can look beyond the final Egg Bowl and, and the way that went down, yeah, elevated the program, elevated expectations, everything going into last season was because of Dan Mullen. I mean, you remember media days, Richard. We had... Hey, Dad, before he actually joined us full-time, and, and you had state people talking about 11-1 and SEC championship-type season, and they had the talent to do it. That's all. That was all there because of Dan Mullen. The, the consecutive yeah. bull streak was all there because of Dan Mullen. Unprecedented success at that program, and, and now it's up to Moorhead to sustain that. And, and you know, I think part of the, the frustration that Mississippi State fans had was that seemingly every year you had to deal with the job rumors of, okay, Dan Mullen is trying to get a job. Dan Mullen's trying to get another job. Some of the time it was probably true. Some of the time it wasn't. There are kind of mixed feelings as to whether or not he was actually pursuing another job, he was trying to leverage another job for a raise, or maybe it was just blown out of proportion because people kind of recognized um, the success that he was having at a place that is traditionally difficult to win. Here's a dissenting opinion to um, to that text. Mailed it in. His starting quarterback broke his ankle, and they had to play a true freshman. And five okay. fumbles in that game. It did not go well. But I, but I can understand that, given the team that Mississippi State had and what Ole Miss was dealing with at the time, that at, at that point there was still an interim head football coach in, in Matt Luke, and it was a team that was five and six going into the game, that with an atrocious defense. Yes, I mean mailed it in is certainly appropriate for that that game. I think from a Mississippi State perspective, all I know is there was a weird feeling vibe on the field in that stadium before the game. I'd say during too. Like, that was just kind of... The way that game played out was weird throughout. It was weird watching on television. I obviously wasn't there, but it felt weird watching it. It's a bizarre night all around. 
Hey, couple of a uh, couple of headlines for you in the college football landscape. Most of which are not. Um, I don't know. You got to wait a long time. I think this one is a feel-good story. Mackenzie Milton is aiming for a return to football in 2020. In December of last year, Mackenzie Milton's quarterback coach refused to slam the door on the idea of him returning to the field in 2019. The player, Mackenzie Milton, though, has. He says he's not playing next year. But he is optimistic about his recovery. Mackenzie Milton is the quarterback from UCF, you remember, that had just the atrocious leg injury late in the in the season. In recently talking to the media, Milton appears to be targeting 2020 as a return. He said, quote, that's what I'm hoping for, but if that's not in my best-case scenario, if I don't feel like I'm ready to come back at that point, then I won't. I'll take as much time as I need because I want to play at a certain level where I was at or better. I feel like I would be doing myself a disservice if I came back and wasn't completely ready to play. I don't think that's smart. I feel like I'm definitely going to play football again at a very high level. Mackenzie Milton's still on crutches. And because it was, what, almost six months ago, five months ago, we can't help but I think forget a little bit with just how severe that injury was. Just gruesome. I mean, this says they he... immobilized his entire leg before he was taken to the hospital, and there was concern about losing his entire leg because of additional internal injuries that led to circulation issues and nerve damage. That's how serious it was. At one point, there was a statement that the family released and confirmed that said, blood flow has been restored to his right leg, and his nerve is injured, but intact. Kind of tells you how differently these these guys are wired. Same thing with Ryan Shazier. I mean, he was paralyzed on a football field, and he wants to come back and play. And so you have regular people like us, especially me. If I was Ryan Shazier and that happened to me, I don't think I'd ever walk on the field again. And I say that as somebody who broke a bone in my neck playing football, but almost losing your leg. Still, months later, he can only put 75 pounds of pressure, according to this article, on that leg, and all he cares about is getting back to play. Could have lost his leg forever, and he's just wired differently. And I love that about people like him. He doesn't care about the injury. It's not going to affect him. He just wants to go play ball. And he was good enough before the injury to play in the NFL. I hope he can get back because that would be an awesome story. It really would be incredible. But think about that. If, if he sits out two entire years, or well, I guess sits out an entire year plus the injury time and the recovery time and then was able to come back a year later, especially the other part of this is do we remember just how electric – Mackenzie Milton was on the football field. He was unreal. Just how talented and how good he was. It would have been interesting to see what would happen in the Fiesta Bowl with him playing. Like, I know LSU was down a bunch of starters, but it would have been... They like, probably you beat have had LSU that, with like, him. Do they, claim, do they claim another national title, I guess, is my question. UCF? Yeah. Whew. 
mean, to hell with it. Why not? If they'd beaten LSU in the Fiesta Bowl and gone undefeated again. I mean, you just put up billboards that say back-to-back, right? Yeah. Probably keep the same billboard. A couple of uh, scheduling notes. These are off in the distance, but they're still fun. Georgia and Clemson are going to play a home-and-home in 2035. Wait, hold on. When is it? 2032 and 2033. I mean, Clemson's really doing some long-range planning. They're going to play a home-and-home with Oklahoma in 35 and 36. They're going to play a home-and-home with Georgia in 32 and 33. That's not all Georgia's going to do, though. They're going to play a home-and-home with Florida State as well. They'll travel to Tallahassee in 2027, and then in 2028, the Seminoles will show up in Athens. I'll be collecting retirement benefits by then. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. What a gorgeous day outside. Just spectacular. Not a cloud in the sky. A little bit cool. I I could go for a little bit warmer, but uh, certainly not going to complain. Um, We're glad to have you along for the ride. You can text the show 601-879-4395. Let's go back to the AAF story. The AAF is folding, but reportedly not because of financial issues. It's folding because Tom Dundon allegedly invested in the league for its app technology and has shut it down so that he didn't have to deal with the football side of things. He's only about $70 million into that $250 million investment. Some different sources with different thoughts on this, and this is a story that's evolving a little bit. Darren Rovell earlier, the AAF will suspend all football operations today. New owner Tom Dundon will lose approximately $70 million on his investment. Dundon makes decision against the wishes of league co-founders Charlie Ebersole and Bill Polian. Ben Albright, with regard to the AAF, the suspension of operations is not a financial issue, and the league founders are not in agreement with Tom Dundon on his decision to do so. Albert Breer, who covers the NFL. Perception inside the AAF is that Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon bought a majority stake in the league simply for the gambling app being developed. Source, quote, Dundon got the technology he wanted, and he's now minus one rather large headache. Close quote. And then Ben Kirchable from CBS said, number one, no one, I mean no one, gets why Dundon is doing this. Not the AAF, nor its partners, nor the NFL. Number two, just because Dundon is the control owner, doesn't mean it's his company. Complications on the horizon. Number three, source confirmed what I previously thought. The idea that Dundon bought the AAF to steal its technology is out there. There will be lawsuits if he does. Borky, is there anything new in the last hour or so that we've missed? Well... The initial reporting was it could be shut down, it could be shut down, and now the players have been informed that today is their final day and the operations people have been informed that tomorrow is their final day. The season, potentially the league, but apparently there's been reports that 
Polian and others, people, stakeholders in this, are going to try to throw some final Hail Marys to stop Dundon from doing this, to try to do whatever they can. But players and personnel have been told uh, that, that, that that's it. Your season's over. Today, tomorrow is your last day. Wow. And it's not just... And a lot of people are making jokes about this, and I understand why, because it's the fun thing to do. But there are a lot of people that... Players, for example, that viewed this as either their first or their final shot to get seen by the NFL to prove that they can actually play. Some of them, in fact, were able to do that, so maybe it'll work out for them. But those kind of guys who uprooted their families from wherever they were to move to Memphis and to Birmingham and to Phoenix, Arizona to play in this league. And then they hired media people. They hired operations people. They had front office people that that don't make a whole lot of money that can't just say, oh, oh, well, this didn't work and go back to their cushy day jobs. A lot of people lost their jobs today seemingly because of a guy that wanted to take some app technology for himself. I don't mean to be like this. I don't mean to sound like a wuss, but this isn't a joking matter for a lot of people. And it's a shame that it's just being riddled down to some jokes when in reality it sounds like a lot of people are going to be out of their job and are going to be out of a lot of money and in strange places because this guy just wanted to shake down this league for its innovative app technology. It's a wild story. It, it feels like there's more to it as well. Like there's going to be a bunch of legal wrangling. And if indeed Tom Dundon's endgame was simply to get the technology for the gambling app and to capitalize on that going forward, that maybe that's not as clean cut as he would like for it to be. That they're going to fight like heck against him being able to just come in, strip the league apart, especially when apparently he made assurances to... Bill Polian and Charlie Ebersaw, the league's founders, that that wasn't the plan. I mean, statements from those guys say that this isn't what we agreed to on the front end. It was a, a three-year plan to get this point, to, to get this league to the point where it was a developmental league for the NFL. That they had a three-year plan to do that. But when Dundon came in, he wanted to put that plan into place immediately and thought he could strong-arm the NFL. I mean, what's the level of hubris and ego necessary to think that you have the ability with an upstart league that has played eight games that you can strong-arm a $9 billion a year revenue entity that has 30 billionaire owners and a commissioner that makes $35 million a year. Especially when they already have... And a lot of smart people. Yeah. And they already have their own free minor league system, and that's college football. They don't have to have a partnership. They don't have to pay for anything. And they get prospects churned out by football factories for them to use every year without spending a dime. Yeah. That are ready to play immediately. Uh, A lot are. I, I don't think it would be crazy... To think that the NFL would see value in a developmental professional league at all. But they're not going to be forced into that. 
the NFL was in a spot where they could absolutely sit back and say, we're just going to watch this and see how it goes. And if it goes well, we may get to a point where we're interested in taking this over or we're interested in a formal partnership. But right now, we want to see a little more. By the way, Steve Spurrier is claiming a championship. He said, well, we're 7-1. and one. Closest anybody else is at 5-3, and three, so uh, I guess we won a championship. Yep. <laughs> Proud of my guys. Did you see uh, a reporter for the state newspapers out in uh, South Carolina? It's Columbia-based. Reported based. that Columbia based, okay. Um, reported that he called Rick Noonheiso and congratulated him on finishing second in the AAF this year. Spurrier did? <laughs> yes. That's fantastic. Oh, I thought it was great. I read that a second ago. That's the most Spurrier thing ever. And Rick Neuheisel, of all people, is a guy that can handle it. He can take that and not be mad about it. Because they, they were on the radio together all the time on Sirius XM. You know, Neuheisel was on the show with Childers in the morning, whatever the name of the show is, and they had Spurrier that joined them for like an hour-long segment a couple of times a week when he was at Florida as the you know the ambassador to Florida or whatever. Super cool. No, no, the league falling apart, not super cool. Steve Spurrier picking up the phone and going, well, Ricky, just want to tell you congratulations on your second-place finish. That's a pretty good run you guys had out there in the desert. It would have been all right if we had met up in Frisco. Although I uh, I think we probably have given you a run for your money. <laughs> and we get this tweet from Adam. And this is what I've seen so much of this today. Adam says, did anyone actually think that this whole AAF league was going to work out? Has anyone watched a single snap? More meaningful sports are on during this time of year. That's the thing. That's why... The league front office, general managers, the other two, the two founders of the league are so surprised and blindsided because projections on television ratings were up better than they expected in year one. They didn't have a financial issue. People were watching. The attendance wasn't very good, but they did not expect that to be good. People were watching on television, and revenue was not an issue. That's why this is so confusing, and people immediately jump to assume that it's revenue. It's not. Well, hold on. Re- revenue kind of was an issue. I mean, it wasn't an issue once Tom Dundon came in and started floating it on a week-to-week basis. What he did not do was write a check for $250 million as an investment for the league to feel comfortable. Like, the original big investor had cash problems, and it only pumped like 26 million of the 130 million that he had promised into the league. And so they I do think they had some revenue issues. I don't know if it was to the point of them having to shut the league down. Yeah, that's they what I mean. They felt like they were in a Yeah, they felt like they were in a more stable place financially with Tom Dundon, but the problem is they gave him unilateral decision-making authority as chairman of the board. And so it doesn't matter that Bill Polian and Charlie Ebersaw didn't want to shut the league down. They gave away control of their baby. And when you do that, you're stuck with the consequences. All right, we'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.